This is Consumed, a scrappy little podcast about life and flavor. I'm your host, Jamie Lewis, a food and wine writer on California's Central Coast. Season two is sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine. Slow Life shares the happenings, stories, and personalities that bring San Luis Obispo County to life. I love writing the food column for the magazine, meeting the people behind my plate, and sharing it with readers. Check your mailbox every other month for inspiring stories about folks you want to get to know, places you want to see, and flavors you want to taste. To learn more about how you can get Slow Life delivered to your door, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Trevor Peterson wanted to go full-time with his distilling business for many years, and he recently left his day job to take the leap. Trevor owns Lloyd Distillery, and his sole spirit, at least at this point, is Bixby Gin, named after the iconic bridge in Big Sur. A tinkerer and a maker at heart, Trevor built the pot still he uses to make Bixby painstakingly over several years. And let me tell you, that attention to detail shows in the final product for sure. The aromas coming off Bixby Gin are reminiscent of a magical walk along the Big Sur coast. Trevor sat at my table and talked about how creativity and resourcefulness run in his family, about feasting on crab in the basement of the Saints Peter and Paul Church in San Francisco, and about being a horrible babysitter for his two younger brothers when he was 12 years old. I really recommend pairing this episode with a gin and tonic. And here's a little listener note. The beginning of our conversation is super awkward because I had to re-record the first several minutes due to technical difficulties. Any weirdness there is entirely my fault, but it's quickly dispelled. Okay, here's my talk with Trevor Peterson. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Trevor? Great. How are you? Good. It's early. It is. It's early, but I just had my coffee and anything after coffee is... I'm ready to function. You were out late last night? We were. Yeah, we went to Head in the Heart in Mm. Santa Barbara Bowl. I went to the Lark previous to that. And you had a cocktail, no doubt. Hey, do they carry Bixby? No. um, Well, I I met Nick, um, Mm -hmm. who is, I I could tell, just a caliber. He is. Mixologist and bartender, and he's going to meet with me hopefully soon. (gasps) Yay. Nick... uh, helped me when we went to Austin earlier this summer. He is a big barbecue guy. He barbecues when he's not working at the Lark. Um, All around, I think he does benefits and catering and things like that, um, high-end stuff. And he gave us suggestions for where to eat barbecue and other things in Austin and solid suggestions. Can't beat it. No. He he seems like a, a... super skilled guy and, and mm-hmm. the cocktail that I had that I, he made was an incredible. I mean, yeah. It was really, really well done. Well, and I would trust you to know that I, some of the cocktails that I taste lately, I mean, I just, I grew up on things like daiquiris and gin and tonics and just the most simplified, um, you know, pretty typical mainstream cocktails. And mm-hmm. now when I taste things like at sidecar, um, I recognize that they're very good, but they're very different than, you know, like a rum and Coke. I mean, I know that that's obvious, but they're often a lot less sweet, Mm -hmm. um, rather puckery a lot of the time sure, and, um, far more nuanced and grown up tasting than, than what I grew up with. I, I think, um, 
the the caliber of what we are able to drink today is just next level mm-hmm. and the daiquiri days are still probably alive and well and on a on a cruise a carnival cruise and, sure. and not bad you know yeah. like there's some classic cocktails that have been around forever that are fantastic but yeah. um what people are doing and how far they're taking it and the thought and the method and the practice and the creativity is super fun mm-hmm. how did you how did you get into that why why do spirits matter to you yeah so um living here we have a lot of friends that were wine industry i was always at cal poly or engineering whatever and, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends were more on the wine side and so I just kind of fell in love with fermentation by osmosis, really just being around it. And it was interesting to me and I would volunteer to go and, uh, work out at Sausalito Canyon with, uh, Amy Cuellar way back when. And, and, um, you know, getting to be there when she's getting ready to pitch the yeast and letting me pour it in, I wasn't captivated by the whole process. Um, distillation kind of, was something nobody was doing at the time and it was a hobby because it was the next thing after so you were already into distillation you were messing with it really were you doing it during your Cal Poly days yeah wow yeah that was a hobby for me and it was it was funny because um there wasn't a lot of information um cocktails were out there but it was big cities Mm -hmm. it was not a local following it was kind of new yeah so that that's kind of how I got into it. Now, cocktails are really the next thing after spirits making, right? I was interested in brandies or grappas mm-hmm. or whatever I could get my hands on that I can make booze out of. Yeah. Um, and seeing what these mixologists can do is, it's really their game at that point. I remember Prohibition era cocktails being a buzz concept long before it came here. I remember reading about sure. it like the speakeasy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it's so cool to see it come here, but also really it's beyond anything prohibition era. These, sure. these are cocktails that are being maybe inspired by some of that creativity, but going far beyond again, sidecar or a La Cosecha or wherever they're taking things on their own in their own direction, Sure, which is really Cool. And I feel like we're becoming known for that, especially because people like you are distilling. I I think um, the area in general with its wine heavy influence, we're already halfway there, right? So yeah, yeah, seeing what people are doing today is super fun. How was um, Bixby and Lloyd Distillery, how was that born? Um, Well, let's see. So I went from hobbyist to guy with a dream. Mm -hmm. And then... um, you know, it was kind of like, how could this work and what's possible? And is this even viable at, at that time uh, before I had my license? I mean, there was not a whole lot of small distilling happening anywhere. Hold uh, on before your license. Is that allowed? As a hobbyist? Yeah. No, <laughs> it's not. I asked you that because I knew you'd say that. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> so don't do it. But- <laughs> I think there's, I honestly, I think New Zealand is the only country that I know of that you can, as a hobbyist, distill. Kiwis, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, getting information, learning this as an art form, as a, on a small scale, is really difficult. Um, you a lot of time on the internet and just mm-hmm. trying to learn. Um, but it was 
really born out of a hobby and, and just kind of decided to do it mm. one day and tried to like peter away at it and, and make it something that hopefully somebody would want to drink someday. And you, uh, you, you named the distillery after someone in your family. My grandfather. Lloyd. Yeah. Okay. And, and growing up, it was always, you know, water skiing on Clear Lake or Lake Berryessa or some event where our family was together. And it was funny because he was a bourbon and whiskey guy. That was his... Drinker. His, yeah, and, and his generation, too. I mean, yeah. my grandparents, they, they drank cocktails. And so um, when I got to be 18, 19, I'll say close enough to legal drinking age, I had my first whiskey, and I realized that it wasn't... Uh, my grandfather that smelled like whiskey, but the other way around, right? Oh. So that was the the memory that uh, flavor could bring you to, right? That yeah. you can experience something that brings you back to your childhood when you're water skiing with the family. I've heard that in a negative context where somebody maybe had an alcoholic family member and they right. smell booze and they think of that person. But I love that in this case, it's the scent of somebody you love and of good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I... I you know, it was always um, gregarious fun with the mm. family. It was mm-hmm. always a good time. And his his drinks were notoriously like 95% straight booze. I, I, I once brought a friend of mine to my grandparents' house. And this is when both of my grandparents were still alive. And my grandfather Lloyd would say, you want a highball? That's what he called it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, sure. And so we're sitting there and uh, my grandmother sets the table and she made short ribs, right? Of course, and and my friend Slinky Ryan, Slinky, um, Slinky was there, and 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 he's like, "Where where do you get these short ribs?" And my grandmother's answer was, "Well, from the butcher, honey." Like, oh, these obviously, people, right? And then he takes a drink of my grandfather's highball, and he just looks across the table at me with these eye like dish plate size eyes, like, "What are you killing me?" Right? This is just amazing, and so. Uh, that that was really the love of the family that started Lloyd Distillery. Yeah, uh, Bixby Gin really was something that took me years to make, mm-hmm. and it was tough because nobody was really there to teach me. Um, I was just focused on making something super interesting mm-hmm. and some, something different, and not something you could get everywhere else. And so I kind of went through this just. I don't know, 18 month process of like testing and testing and testing. Other people's gin or yours? Mine. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I mean, well, what I thought was gin in the early days, right? My first gins were probably horrible. Um, But I went to the East Coast. I spent some time over there learning from other distillers, came here and was just dead set on making something delicious. Mm -hmm. So that was how uh, Bixby was born. And it was really inspired by a hike in Big Sur, being around our terroir, being around exposed uh, sea coasts, mm-hmm. and getting something that was maybe to your point with cocktails, not sweet, not yeah. savory, not puckery, but um, something that was kind of just in that element that was interesting and nuanced and complex and something that people who maybe have a wine palate could appreciate aromatics and could appreciate the flavor. Yeah, and when I smell Bixby... As especially, I remember when we turned 40, you graciously gave us a bottle and, um, a lot of other people gave us bottles and of different things, 
It was just the best 40th birthday ever. Um, and there were multiple bottles of whiskey, craft stuff from all over. And we didn't do a, you know, a prescribed blind tasting, but when I smell Bixby, there's a scent to it. And I don't know if it is just the, um, you know, recollection of a hike in Big Sur or what, but there's a, a signature to it that is very specific. And I don't know, what is that signature? What makes it different than other ones? It's, um, I think it's the ingredients and then a, ma- a major part of it is the process. Um, with my background being kind of technical, mm-hmm. I had to try and isolate all these variables and then ultimately play on what I could tease out of these ingredients. And so what, what was really a killer was not just creating Bixby, but creating the equipment and the process to make that possible. I forget that all the time yeah. that you built the equipment. Yeah. And you can't buy this equipment. The commercial distillation manufacturers, they, they make fantastic pieces of equipment, mm-hmm. but they're Swiss army knives, so to speak. They can do a lot of different things with a lot of different raw materials. I didn't need that. Couldn't afford it anyhow. And teasing out just the right aromatics with the right temperature, with uh, the right surrounding um, botanicals is really what has given Bixby that signature. And so um, I had a gin basket that I drew up, designed, had it made. And it's funny because all the thought that went into the process and the equipment, um, it's sophisticated, but it's really old school. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the reason that the gin basket is only you know, a couple feet long is can, because... And can you, ex- I'm sorry to stop you. Can you explain what a gin bla- basket is? Oh, well, um, yeah. So, so some botanicals will go into your pot still and some mm-hmm. will go into a gin basket. Um, the gin basket is there so that alcohol vapor will pass over it, extracting mm-hmm. ultimately what are the essential oils, which create the flavor of and Of the botanicals, of the things. Of yeah. So okay. it's, you know, it's, I could tell you it's, measured to be as deep as my elbow is to my mm-hmm. fingers mm-hmm. because I need to be able to reach my hand in there and scrape all that stuff out when mm-hmm. it's done distilling. And that was really kind of dimensionally funny, I think, because it's, you know, it's all handmade stuff. It's not. And it's bespoke to you. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one like it in the world. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, okay. So it goes through, so you've got a pot still. Mm-hmm. Is this a copper thing? Am I thinking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 60 gallon copper pot still. So sits, how, m- I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Oh, it, it sits over a direct fire and mm. I'm actually in the midst of um, making it larger so I can mm-hmm. make, make more gin. How much does the current one make in a pass? About 30 cases. Okay. How many cases have you made at this point? Not many. Yeah. Uh, but that's hopefully changing. I think um, being able to focus on it will help me get, get it out there more and yeah, so there's been a big shift in your life in yeah. the com- composite of your time. Yeah. What happened? Uh, well, it got to a point where I left my day job. Mm-hmm. So four, five years later, after all of this, it was kind of just time to move away and do something I love to do. And what was your day job? Uh, I was in the software industry on the sales business mm-hmm. side. So we started out in 2008 and built it and grew it. Um, and ultimately the owner sold it. And so now it was a good time to segue out 
Yeah. And, and do the same thing, only apply it to a passion of mine. Was that scary? Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was hard, but it was, it, it, it had to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably could have done it two or three years ago and been a happier person. But yeah. it is what it is. It's just part of life. When I went freelance, I think I've told you this before, but I was so scared. I was working for a PR and marketing firm here in town that focused on hospitality. So it's not like I wasn't in my happy place. I was. I was copywriting for them. Lots of fun, cool clients. But it wasn't my gig. I didn't get to decide what I worked on. And also I wanted to work far more directly with editorial. I wanted to be the writer on the story, not just the one pitching the press release. Um, it felt more creative to me. It is more creative. And so, um, I went fully freelance January 1st, 2016. Uh, so that's not that long ago. And I remember the first day I sat on my couch at my house and worked and I'd gotten a Roomba as a gift actually from my boss, my, my boss at the marketing firm, uh, for Christmas and the Roomba was vacuuming my floor all around and I was working on my couch and I just thought, could anything be better than this ever in right, my life? Right. I've got a robot cleaning my floor and I'm sitting in the, like this sun dappled living room working. And of course it's scary. I was so horrified I, I could have done it far earlier. But I remember after things turned out okay, especially looking at the bank account and feeling like, you know what? We're going to make it. This is yeah. going to be all right. I thought, why didn't I do this earlier? Right. Yeah. There's um, a lot of comfort in, for me at least, in, in being able to participate in building a, a company that would turn out to be a real company. Um, and leaving that behind, I struggled with it. Mm. Now, I realize, you know what? I probably could have, like you say, done it earlier or whatever. But it's it's comforting to have that. Yeah. Feeling. And you probably so. left it in a great place, which helps. Yeah. No, we did some good work there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what does your day look like now? So now I'm learning everything all at once. Um, I'm not a very astute social media person, so I'm asking mm-hmm. all these people about etiquette and like how to do it. And it's just kind of funny. Social <laughs> media etiquette is a dynamic <laughs> moving target. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll probably fail it many, many times. Mm. But um I've, yeah, I've spent a lot of time marketing and obviously distilling more, um, and just going out and seeing customers, um, mm-hmm. entering competitions is a part of it. Yes. And, so, and that recently paid off. Yeah, it did. And it was really validating. I, I didn't, um, I didn't know what to expect. And I think for a lot of people who want to be creative, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't able to be at a certain point with, as a company has grown. Uh, but to be able to have complete freedom comes with a risk, right? You yes. don't know that the product that you're making is going to be um, accepted by anybody, right? right? Yeah. You, you just got to have the will to get it out there. So part of it being the competition that it was, it was nice to to win a double gold mm-hmm. and to win a, you know, even a packaging medal on top of that. It was really... Oh, you did? Yeah. And, and oh. you know, I was telling people, I'm like, I really can't take credit for the label because... I didn't design it. And their response was, well, you approved it. 
Yeah. Well, not only that, but you went with a company. What was the name of the company that did it? Um, oh, now I'm going to blank out. But they are legit high level. I mean, you didn't just, you know, go with some Cal Poly intern in the graphic arts department. Yeah, no, no, no. Which, I, which that yeah. can pay off too sometimes, but you went with a known quantity. I did. And, and having professionals around us that are in wine, that have been doing this for years, and trusting the right people to help you make those connections is a, a key part of any business, but certainly helped in this one. Yeah. yeah. You strike me as a very curious person, which those are always the people I like to have around. Um, what are you kind of obsessing on right now? Are you reading anything or watching anything or, or thinking about any new tactics or anything in the world that you're kind of getting into? Um, I've been, kind of self-indulgent to be honest Mm. in that I need artwork. So I went to, (laughs) I literally went to art. I think it's called art central next to seven 11. Yeah. And I said, seven 11. I love it. Right. Point of point of reference. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and I was like, I need to find, make this color in watercolor. Really? And, And they're like, the first question was, what are you doing here? Are you taking a class? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> so I need paint. Is I that what you're, you were and, buying paint? But I was buying watercolor paint, but talk about like a small town helpful person. She's like, well, what about this color and this color? And let's open it and let's mix it together and let's see how it looks. And of course she nailed it because she's a real artist. Yeah. And so I spent a day making this Lloyd Distillery logo so I could scan it so I could use it as artwork in website stuff. Wait a minute. So you, did you draw it up or paint it up? Yeah, literally. So it's a hand done kind of like, um, oh, what do you call that? Like you could see the strokes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's so. In- yeah. And in- the color red shifts a bit because I don't know what I'm doing and mixing paints, not my jam. Yeah. But it worked. And um, I borrowed, I was driving myself crazy because I had this really tiny brush and um, my eyes aren't apparently what they used to be. So I borrowed Christy's reading glasses and yeah. I've never worn reading glasses before. Do you warm it? You warm at the end of your nose? Um, perhaps. <laughs> but they worked so well. I was like, I can do this now because, you know, I'm trying to make little letters and I'm trying to get it straight and oh. get the line straight and... It was pretty funny. So I, I've been very focused on everything, mountains of work that I need to do for the distillery. Yeah. But going back to, you are always going back to the thing that you can make. Yes. I think there's a scrappiness that I appreciate, um, but it's not, you know, scrappy like tattered. It's always very thought out. Your home is like that too. Um, you have built almost everything there. Yeah. And you take your time. Let's say it like that. Yeah. Well, I don't have a lot, but yes, I, I would even if I had uh, ample amounts of time. Right. It's true. I, I like to think out um, every step. Yeah. I, I think it's partly because I want it to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I find creativity relaxing. Yeah. It makes me feel uh, like my mind can go somewhere and it's, um, it's interesting, right? Yeah. It keeps you thinking. Um, and then ultimately I think I kind of grew up that way. Yeah. I was going to ask you in the composite of your family, how do you compare to the other folks in your family in terms of creativity and art? Right. Well, um, that's a really interesting question. So 
I think part of the scrappiness, if I must, is because generationally, like my grandparents fixed their own stuff, like a lot of our grandparents did. Yeah. If your car broke, you fixed it. We went through one of my grandfathers, you know, he had passed away, went through his garage. We found tools that he made because the tool to do what he was ever trying to do didn't exist. Right. And so there's just this hands-on, I think, um, maybe it's, I want to honor myself by thinking I'm as good as they were, you Mm. know, like, like figuring stuff out. Resourcefulness. Yeah. And, and ultimately it was kind of, um, kind of just the way I grew up with not having money and Mm -hmm. needing to make stuff. Yeah. Right. And my roommates in college used to tease me. They're like, if you don't, have something you can just make it and yeah. the only reason i would make it was because i couldn't really resource myself to to buy it or if what i wanted didn't exist then you have to be creative and, mm. and scrappy um parents wise my my mom was is and is super creative mm. it was as a kid paint me something draw me something make me something mm. that was how she kept us probably content i oh, would guess yeah. but my brothers are also a very hands-on maker type of folks. I, I made a um, nightstand and I had a, my bro- one of my brother's visits and he did exactly what I do, which is let's look underneath that piece of furniture to see how it's put together. Yeah. And it's, he's the only person that would like figure that out. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Did he build it? No, no, I built it. No, but um, I mean, did he replicate it or he just was checking it out? He was checking it out. And so um, there's that connection where all of us are the same. It's mm-hmm. it's odd because people don't typically uh, look underneath the table that you built to right. ask you how you put it together. Or did you challenge yourself to put it together without like screws or nails? Right. Yeah. Is it just glue and wood or is it screws and nails? Yeah. Stuff like that. that. Stuff yeah. like that. It, it's just... I think we kind of take it to that extreme, mm-hmm. which is fun, and I think it's it's part of what um, part of what makes us unique as brothers. Um, you fall in. Uh, you're the firstborn. Yeah. Okay. And how far apart are you all, you boys? Um, I am three years older than my brother Aaron, and nine years older than Barry. Oh wow! You guys so are spread a good out. Stretch. Yeah. 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 What are they up to now? Uh, they're both software engineers. <laughs> the software thing runs deep too, apparently. Yeah, but by accident, I was on the more business sales side of it. Yeah. Um, my engineering background was mechanical, which is sort of hands-on, but sort of not. Mm-hmm. It was fun. I enjoyed doing it, but it, it, maybe to your point, I think I wasn't able to be uh, creative enough. I was only a part or you know, cubicleized, if you will, yeah. with, with what people do. I want to take a minute to share about one of my supporters on the Consumed podcast. If you're listening, you're probably a fan of good food and good people, right? Well, coming soon, the San Luis Obispo Public Market at Long Bonetti Ranch will bring fresh flavor, fresh faces, and fresh inspiration to the Central Coast. Let me tell you, this is going to be a very big deal. Long Bonetti Ranch was established in 1880 and is named after George W. Long and Florino Bonetti. 
The ranch housed horses and dairy cows and produced grain, veggies, and flowers. The Slow Public Market will honor the Long and Bonetti family legacies with local purveyors of different foods and ingredients, ranging from a brewery and a cheese shop to tacos, coffee, ice cream, juices, spirits, and my personal obsession, bao buns. There's lots more to come, and it's all coming very soon. To learn more about the Slow Public Market or for information on becoming a merchant there, visit slowpublicmarket.com. Jake, my husband, uses you as a reference point, and I don't know that it's fair. He, at night, you know, he comes home tired uh, from work, and in his fantasy world, after putting the kids down to bed, he would not sit down and watch a movie. He would not sit down with his laptop and, you know, do more work for his business or his side jobs. He would not sit down and, um, oh, I don't know, zone out. He has often said, I want to do what Trevor does. I want to go, you know, after your girls are down, you go into the garage a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And you take that time to build or to scheme or... um, you know, to follow some kind of inspiration. And I wonder where does that energy come from for you? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's always kind of been in, been me. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they become some sort of professional occupation, a grown up, you could trace it back to what you used to do as a kid. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, my dad had this garage full of tools. And in fact, I remember he knew that if, you know, if I misbehaved, it was, I'm going to take my tools away and you can't use them. Oh my right? gosh. That's the cutest thing. I've ever. And it was funny because then we'd get really devious and he would contrive all these ways to lock up his tools. And then we'd figure a way to like dismantle his locks, go use tools and then try have to put him back before he got back from work or whatever. But you know, he was, he was always honest cause we'd leave a saw out in the backyard or whatever, you know, but we were, we were always, um, we were always building stuff and we were always taking it to a level where I, I don't know. I just remember like building a tree fort once hmm. without nails. Just is, as a challenge, just as a challenge, yeah. just to like see if I could prop up stuff or make it fit or mm-hmm. lock it together. Um, and then sit in it and then, you know, let it fall down or whatever. But that, yeah. that was just kind of part of what I grew up doing. And I just find a lot of comfort in hanging out in the garage hmm whether it's fixing something, making something, or, you know, just oftentimes cleaning it up because I make a well, sure. mess in there. But, sure. um, yeah, it, it's, it suits me well, and it, it lets me kind of um, decompress a bit. Where did you grow up? Um, lots of places. We were Bay Area, San Francisco originally. Um, in the city? My parents lived in the city, born and raised. In fact, so did their parents. Uh, well, I think... All, all but maybe one or two. Um, and then ultimately, Menlo Park, Salinas, Paso Robles, mm. uh, high school was outside of Sacramento. Wait a minute, Salinas, when were you there? How old were you? Oh, I was kindergarten, second grade. Oh, okay. Yeah, Do you remember much from that? Mm, not too much. Okay. Yeah, not too that much. It seems like a big leap, even from Menlo. Well, um, I had a, I have a lot of family in Monterey, Carmel area, mm. um, partly because that's where they landed and fished and all, all that good stuff. But um, yeah, my, my dad would get a, a promotion. He worked for the state of California, and mm. so off we would go. 
mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any different. You know, when you're a kid, you just kind of go with the, the, the flow, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a lot of good memories of each place. San Francisco was always home, home for mm-hmm. me because my grandparents were there. And I think, you know, with three boys, my mom was probably ready to bring us to some place where we could be contained and, yeah. and have help, right? So yeah. I totally empathize with that one these days. Yes, I know. Um, what is, uh, Big Sur such a huge part of you, of your marriage, your partnership with Christy, um, and with your girls now, with yeah. your family. Yeah. What's the first time you remember being there? Uh, we would go there camping when I was a kid. Um, moving here to San Luis Obispo in 1993. Um, loved surfing, loved the ocean. Mm. And we would spend weekend after weekend after sometimes weeks just kind of cruising the beaches of Big Sur and mm. uh, fishing and kayaking and hiking. And um, it's been that way for a long time and it is it's cool to, to have kids and be able to share that with them mm-hmm. that camping was how I vacationed right that yeah. was that was normal and my dad is a huge nature lover and mm. um it, it, it is fun to take the kids there we were we were in Big Sur a couple weeks ago and we were in this kind of grovey redwood canyon and the kids were having so much fun I could just hear Lucy laughing through yeah. the forest and we were just loving it it was perfect yeah. yeah oh gosh we're so lucky to have access to that and then access to and jake and i saw a concert last night also we saw Ooh. leonard skinner nice <laughs> he won tickets nice. through his work and you know that crowd was very different than a lot of the crowd in let's say oh i don't know Morro bay you know, there's just such a huge difference. And I realize it was the fair, and so there's a lot of visitors. But the vibe in Paso is so different from the vibe in, say, San Simeon. And that's so different from the vibe in Napomo, um, AG. It's just, it's an incredible county. I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like the biggest county in California by any stretch. But it's got these pockets and geographically, it separates those pockets from one another. Um, and yeah, I was just marveling at, um, I felt in many ways very different from the crowd at the show last night. Um, but in other ways, I didn't. Uh, a lot of these um, folks are, I mean, they're into the fair. They're into showing animals. And um, I was in 4-H as a kid, and so it's not wholly unfamiliar, but... Anyway, just that the, there's like a, there's a social topography here too that is fascinating to me. Um, and so, yeah, Big Sur being so different from, say, Salinas, even though they're just separated by the Santa Lucia Mountains, really. Right. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, the weather's different. The, um, the breeze comes down that Salinas Valley and it's cold right from the ocean, whereas Big Sur has... Uh, just la- layers, right? All that air mm-hmm. hits the the mountains and just kind of sits at different layers, which I think is fascinating. Do you still source from Big Sur for Bixby? Um, somewhat, 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah somewhat. I'm trying to spend more time actually growing ingredients mm-hmm. because I can. They're natives anyhow. And yeah. It's easier um, on the environment. Oh, you mean growing at your house in your garden? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's in your garden right now? Um, the coriander this year is going to be from the garden. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the um, cocktail, you know, Casey at Nova made a cocktail and won the cocktail competition. Yeah. And in her ice spheres, she placed the blossoms in the like newly bolted coriander. Oh, how pretty. It was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. She did a fantastic job. Yeah. So we were trying to make that connection with the raw material moving into the cocktail from the spirit itself. Um, the, like you, the first thing I ever drank was whiskey. And, um, I think we've talked before about you, you've considered making whiskey. Yeah. Is that something that you'd like to be on deck or it's already on deck? I've made whiskey. Not, but as part not of under Lloyd. Yeah. Not, not commercially. Um, I would love to make whiskey. The infrastructure there is a little bit more intensive, but um, it's something I think about a lot. Yeah, I, I, I need to make more spirits. I literally don't know what I need to do next. Mm. Um, but ultimately, I'm, I'm I've got to kind of pick it and stick it here pretty soon. We'll yeah, figure it out. yeah. Well, it sounds like you have the space, the mental space to actually pursue something now when you're not painting right. your label. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's yeah. true although I, I i enjoyed painting the label that was fun yeah i, I mean it. i'll paint something else no one else is really painting and making commercial art no that, like that anymore so mm. i want to be a little bit different you told me once about i mean san francisco is such a huge part of your life and you're up there quite a bit too visiting yes because is it your parents no they yeah. live in san francisco mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they Still. live in the sunset mm-hmm. they live in the house that my mom grew up in that's right, which is so rare, yeah, especially it's there. It's pretty, a lot of people are coming and going there. They are, but you would never know it if you visit my parents' house because they still hang out with their friends from high school and they still go really? to the same old restaurants and they, it's a time capsule, I think, for them. I Do mean, they, there's, a, there's, there's a huge shift in the city, obviously, and there's politics behind how you feel about that. But all that aside to them, it's just home. Yeah. You, do they spend a lot of time in North beach? Um, I would say occasionally, you know, parking in North beach has been a tremendous amount of effort for a long time. So, um, yeah, they're, they're getting into Uber and my dad has a comment on every Uber vehicle and the ride of the vehicle, whether it's a whatever or whatever, it's kind of a fun commentary. But, um, yeah, we'll go down to North beach. We'll go down to the wharf. Yeah. They, they'll, they know a lot of the families that open these restaurants decades ago. So Mm -hmm. they like to, they like to be, um, in common, in a common space. Yeah. That way. What's a favorite of theirs or yours when you go up there? Um, let's see. They will go to the, um, what do they call it? The cliff house. Yeah. Right there on the bluff. Yeah. Right. Oh, we, there's a, what is that little museum underneath? What's it? You know, the museum of really old carnival. Oh, they moved it. Oh, where is it now? It's now, it's down on the wharf, but they, are are you talking about the one that had the, um, toothpick sculpture? Yes. Mechanical toys. like that kind of thing. Yeah. It was like that movie that was it the toy from Tom Hanks. Was it something like that? 
I don't uh, know. I, I don't <laughs> it, but that place could be, you could absolutely make a movie there. It was so bizarre. It reminded me of the movie Amelie. She goes, at one point, she goes into an old fair and it feels like that with all of the, yeah, the toothpick thing, the like trick of the eye, little mechanical things. Jake and I, when, when we, um, when he proposed to me, we were living in San Francisco. Um, he proposed in the Rose Garden, which was really awesome. Well done. Uh, well yes, done, Jake. he did a great Good job. job. <laughs> he worked with my boss to surprise me, to get me out of a day's worth of work. I had no idea he was showing up. And uh, he took me to the Hayes Valley Grill. It was so wonderful. And then we went to the Rose Garden. And then after that, we went to um, the jeweler to pick up the ring (laughs) down in the financial district. And then we went over to the Cliff House and we went downstairs to that funny little museum and we went into a photo booth and took pictures and that wound up on our program for the wedding. And those pictures just encapsulate that day, the energy of that day. But anyway, I have fond memories of the Cliff House. It's a good spot. Yeah. Good spot. What kind of, uh, well, you've told me before, I mean, maybe a restaurant is too specific, but you've told me before about some kind of a boil in the basement of, what's the, Peter Paul, what is that, St. Peter, St. Paul Church? Oh, the crab feed. The crab feed. Yes, it's the Salesian Boys and Girls Club Benefit Crab Feed. And um, if you're in North Beach, there's a, triangular shaped park and there's a massive uh, St. Peter's and Paul church there. It's kind of iconic that church. Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, downstairs is like four basketball courts that you would never know are underneath this massive old Catholic church. And they put on a crab feed for, uh, there must be 500 or a thousand people there. Bunch of old Italians. Yes. Yeah. And they all know each other. And their families, in many cases, have known each other for generations. So it's a pretty neat experience. And everybody who I've ever had that visits, and you have to be a huge seafood fan to, mm. to want to be there, um, they're, they're, they're just mesmerized by the fact that no one knows it exists. So except secret. for people in the neighborhood. And, um, and, and every time I go, I learn some story. I learn some like family thing. Mm. And so the year before last, I had one of my cousins, if you grew up as an Italian kid, everybody's your cousins. We won't get (laughs) into that, but I was taken on this walk and they took us around the corner and, you know, here is, you know, Joanne, who's in her eighties talking about how when she was a kid in North beach, um, her father and the priest got together and like cut a hole in the fence so the kids could get into mass without going on the street. Oh my gosh. Those days are long gone. Right. But you know, she took us through a walk and Oh, that's the house that your grandmother was a kid and you know, your Mm -hmm. uncle Anthony and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, you kind of just get a little bit of a walk through memory lane of, uh, North beach when it was just really a working class, immigrant focused community Mm -hmm. and it still has that quaint charm. And I think that's why so many people around the world love to go there. Um, but these are just people that were 
making do, you know? And, and, and they, they have all these cool food stories about all the men were fishermen, so they would be gone up until, up until around Christmas. And I guess that was when all the men were back. and Like from Alaska or something? From wherever they were fishing. I, yeah. I, honestly, I know there was an Alaska connection, and mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it was seasonal. Um, sardines was a big part of my family's history yeah. back in the Monterey and the, the Bay. Um, but, yeah, we would, we would hear stories about the kids complaining about having to eat crab uh, again <laughs> because they would, they would have it, and it was free, and they'd feed the yeah. family with it. Yeah. But it's kind of fun stuff. It's so fun. You have told me before that you're, um, well, that you and your brothers weren't always well behaved, uh, that you did some, some things. There was a story about a knife. What was that story? Oh, my goodness. People oh, are going to listen to this? Yes. Oh, no. Well, I hope. Yeah, we were just, I, I, I like to say we came out swinging from the chandelier. We were yeah. pure 100% boy, if you will, and um, loud, obnoxious, and not very good kids. So funny, because I can't picture you that way at all. Oh, we, well, I was the res- oldest, right? So yeah. I had to be somewhat responsible. So then <laughs> the knife story was my youngest brother, and I was watching, it was a summertime, um, my parents were working, and I was in charge of watching the ki- my two youngest brothers. I think my youngest brother, Barry, was about three when he came out. Uh, after us with a steak knife and you know when you're 12 you're 12 and watching uh, that's the hardest oh. part to believe it's like okay no I was a highly paid babysitter I think I made like three dollars a week or something yeah um my my yeah my little kid brain was like oh I should ninja kick the knife out of his hand which I did <laughs> well <clears throat> and and you know that was just a day yeah so oh no gosh. one got hurt we, we all somehow survived but it's yeah. It scares me. It scares me to think when my son is 12 in three years, I mean, I couldn't, if I had to leave him at home because I had to go away to work, I mean, that's, that's the way it would be. But I just get terrified thinking about what that would be like. And, and three boys, no less, you know, it would be double trouble, triple trouble for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we we survived. Everyone has their youthful, crazy stories, right? But hmm. somehow we didn't kill each other. You have twin girls. Yeah. Close to my son's age. Yeah, they're almost nine. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Mine is such a big year, I feel like, for boys and girls. But are they anything like you were growing up? Mm, not so much. Um, well, I think, I think Layla has her strong-willedness mm-hmm. is that a word um where she she's gonna do it her way and yeah. i think there's a part of me that was the same mm-hmm. those girls are so i mean i ask you that knowing that they're they're not gonna kick a knife out of somebody's hand no well maybe by accident because with lucy's dance prowess feet <laughs> and she's getting taller right so I these know. these feet are like flying up in the kitchen and we're like okay don't dance in the kitchen you're gonna yeah. like accidentally kicked me in the chin or something. <laughs> She's such a beautiful dancer. It Thanks. seems to come very naturally to her. She loves it. She's it's, doing it all the time too. It's her, she thrives in it and yeah. she loves it. And it's fun to just watch a kid want to do something without any 
motivation from the parents or anything. Right. I mean, they, she, she just took on to it. She would do it every day. I get that sense. If she were let loose, she would be allowed, she would be wanting to do it every single day. And we see, I don't know if you see the cello in the corner and the violin oh, and the piano. Yes. Corbin is just thriving in music. It's thriving. And I think he would do lessons every single day if we could afford it. Um, and it kind of brings up a funny, I always believed that a, a kid would get very good at music or dance or gymnastics or sports or whatever because their parents pushed them to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's been an interesting thing to see these kids come out the way they come out and they want what they want and they like what they like. And the amount of time they want to spend doing it is entirely up to them. And so it's been funny to see him really take off with music. And I'm always a little nervous when I tell someone that, that they're thinking, Oh, you're pushing him to do that. Mm. Um, but I'm really not. And Lucy reminds me of that. She just is a natural and, uh, I can tell that she really would do it every single day. And you guys are the least, you know, pushy parents that I think I can think of. Really? I think so. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, um, I'm not I, saying you neglect them. No, I, I, well, here's the thing. Like secretly we want them to do stuff. Oh yeah. And I guess you have to balance that mm. or, or enable yourself to be surprised and not offended. Right. Yeah. We, we were, we took the kids to Tahoe. And we just talked about Big Sur and the beach. And mm. Christy and I are comfortable in the sand. I'll say it that way. Yeah. And we take them to Tahoe and we rent a couple of kayaks. And we are, Christy and I are just excited. We're going to go kayaking. And here's the kids standing in, on the beach, kind of complaining about needing to be in the <laughs> kind sand. Of, kind of and complaining. And we, we looked at each other like, we know there are children. <laughs> But how is it possible that genetically you have an issue like standing in sand? And yeah. it's, it's, I say it, it's funny, but yeah. maybe it's going to come later. And it could be a phase. I mean, that's another difficult for people like me thing to accept is everything is a phase. Everything in life is a phase. True. And yeah, uh, yeah the world is spinning out in orbit and there's nothing I can do to change that or yeah. to direct it. Yeah. Um, but if you could decide what you wanted to eat on your last day, knowing that you were going to die, oh, would you do the crab feet? Mm. I would probably straddle crab feet and something with pork belly, most likely. Is that a thing for you? Eh, it is. Yeah, yeah. I kind of love it. Have you had the pork belly, the number two at Mihang Lao? The wide, flat noodles with the pork belly dish. It's just seared. In, no, oh. but that sounds great. Oh. I love that place. I know. So do I. That's his most requested dish. It was just a special. I remember when it was a special, all of a sudden it's on the menu and it's the number two. He has a t-shirt that says something like, I'll have the number two or home of the number two because it's so popular. You've got to eat that. Yeah, I think I do. It's fatty goodness. Well, you know, that sounds great. I, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, that place is cool. It is. We, we brought the girls there once. It was like we had twin girls, and they were so little, it was still when you would swaddle them, you yeah, know, because yeah. they're super tiny. And it was when we hadn't, what am I trying to say? We hadn't figured out that, like, the friends that we hung out with without kids were probably not going to be 
uh, hanging out with as much it's anymore. Such a hard right? realization. Yeah. So we brought him to Mihan Lo, and like, here's us with twin babies, and we'd convinced ourselves like life's not going to change, and so we stuck oh them gosh. on there. There's this like red velvety lounge chair, and we like stuck the <laughs> twins in this chair. <laughs> here, you sit here. Yeah, and and we all hung out and had fun, but yeah, I think that was right before they all kind of coupled up and had kids anyhow. So, but I remember they that too far behind us. I remember that time of. No, we can do this. Everything's going to be the same. We got it. Yeah. And that was with one screamy one, but not two. Uh, so yeah, I can imagine that's an adventure for sure. Yeah. And you guys have been together so long. I always forget. Yeah. You're high school sweethearts. Yes. So you have all that time behind you. Did you feel like a team when you had the girls? Uh, I think so. The our girls came early and so you team up no matter what mm. when you've got you know kids at 32 weeks or whatever they were and three and a half pounds um mm. you 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 don't have a choice right i mean don't you just kind of like go for it i'm yeah. not saying i was the strongest team member <laughs> by the <laughs> way I, I i once changed uh it was my turn to change diapers and i have i told you this story no and christy's mom was in town to help and she's amazing yeah. luckily for me and um she wakes up in the morning and there was a diaper over a diaper and that was on my, my oh. watch. So, because you were so tired, you were just putting another one on. Yeah. You know, just exhausted. That's adorable. Yeah. Um, so pork belly, what are you drinking with it? Mm, I would say a cocktail and maybe something with mezcal and gin and mm. something super savory, like, a I don't know. Weird spice. Yeah. Yeah. Cardamom or something. I, I just packed the cardamom yesterday. I was looking at it because we're cleaning out our kitchen, looking at it thinking, I don't use you nearly enough. That's a beautiful spice. There are so many crazy simple ones. Coriander to me is also mm. in that mm -hmm. genre where it's like you grind coriander and that I, I grind coriander fresh in the distillery before I make a run of, of gin. And it just lights up the whole yeah. space. Bright, herbal. I love that smell, for sure. You are super generous. Give me your time. Thanks I for love talking you. to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Consumed. To get the latest in what's going on with the podcast, sign up for the Consumed newsletter at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at Jamie C. Lewis. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. <laughs>